it's time to start unpacking with another episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the phenomenal women of Goodstock Consulting, Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Hello, listeners. Hello, viewers. And welcome back to the B Word Unpacked with Goodstock Consulting. Kelly here, and I am very excited to be unpacking this topic today, which is babies, babies, babies. And y'all, when it comes to babies, there is clearly so much that we can potentially unpack from that sweet, sweet baby smell to just the, the coos and the oohs and the ahs, the velvety soft feet, the joy they bring into the world, just so much about the babies, you name it. So heads up, we've touched on maternal health issues before in season one in an episode titled Birth. If you haven't checked that one out, we encourage you to do so. But today we're gonna have kind of a different twist on this conversation about babies. And I'm super excited about the two guests that we have here today to help us walk through it. I'm excited too, Kelly. But before we jump in with these fabulous women, uh, let's start a quick lightning round. Lightning round. All right. What is the thing that you two ladies, you and Eb, love about babies? Or if you just happen to not be, you know, really that into babies, which is totally valid. Uh, talk about that. Well, so I, I love babies. Um, I think the thing I love about babies is that I can play with them. And then I can... I can literally give them back to whomever this baby belongs to <laughs> all the time. And my life is very structured, um, has to be because of work. I love sleep. I love order. Um, I love things that if it's broke, I know I did it because it, mm. the only person I can blame is myself. And so when I think <laughs> about a child and the fact that it will completely flip that, it gives me a little bit of anxiety. People say, everybody who has a kid, I've met says that, you know, you love your own more than you love someone else's kid. So I think I'll be okay, but it's one of those things that once you make that decision. Can't really turn back. Is a permanent one. <laughs> it's pretty, so, pretty permanent. I, I literally think of kids as they're the best version of what the world has to offer. And so mm. I'm always grateful when I meet one, they can do nothing wrong in my book. I tell people that all the time, like your kids, I would never call a kid bad. They're independent thinkers. They're creative. Um, they're adventurous. What else I tell Lindsay? Um, she's a bright and morning star. She's independent. She's independent. And, um, and that's why they do what they do. And as long as they're doing that in, in their own home, <laughs> I am in of that ingenuity. Yeah. Kelly, what about you? We got little Max over there. Um, y'all, I love those little baby feet. I love the little feet, the little baby soft toes. I just something about them is just it's just so sweet to me. It warms my heart. I love the way they just smell. I love the smell of the toes. And I fully realize if I was talking about grown people, y'all would be judging me <laughs> hard. Y'all would be judging me hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no fetish, but I do love them. They're so cute. What about you, Kim? Um, so I probably wasn't a baby person until I had kids. I was never really interested in um little people because they are disruptive. They are. Um, but now yep. that I have some, I, I love cuddling with babies. Like I want to suck mm. those cheeks. I always say you can't trust a skinny baby. You should not have a skinny baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <I'm> not <laughs> 
chunky <laughs> with the rolls. You got to put baby powder in the creases. Like that's Ooh, the kind yes. of baby I want. And I want to cuddle with that baby and kiss mm-hmm. those faces and those feet in the hands. Um, so I do really like, I love the babies. You love the babies? I love when they go home. I do love when they go home. Mm-hmm. No more babies here. But I do <laughs> love to kiss on others' babies. Does Trey know that? Trey knows no more babies there. He better know. Yeah. He better just checking. know. Just, just checking. Just checking. So uh, viewers, listeners, it's my pleasure, my deep, deep pleasure to introduce you to Kim Smith and Bernita Brown, two incredible women who are going to share with you today both their personal experiences when it comes to pregnancy and their professional backgrounds when it comes to all things babies. And so uh, without further ado, ladies, let's kick it off. Tell our viewers who you are, what you do, and why you do what you do. And um, Kim, I'm going to throw it to you first. Welcome Welcome to to the B-Side. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I always enjoy conversations about babies. Uh, And just to to tag along to you all, I have three little ones, including a 15-month-old, who we call the boss baby. He is chunky. (laughs) I produce nine pounders. (laughs) So I think Kim would love that. Uh, So I've worked in healthcare for, I know, big babies. But I've worked in healthcare for 14 years. And um, I would say about halfway through that, we experienced a loss of of a daughter due to HELP syndrome, which is a severe version of preeclampsia. And that's really put me on this path to maternal health advocacy, uh, serving in the space, sharing stories to educate women. And uh, now I serve as the board chair for the National Preeclampsia Foundation, um, who's celebrating 20 years today. Um, of, of hard work and uh, so much work to be done with maternal health, but I'm grateful to be in the healthcare field, but also provide support from an advocacy perspective. Yeah. Well, my question is, how do you have a 15 year old and you come here? No, 15 months. Month, month, I know. 15 months of 15 yeah. months old with bold and, and glow. Listen. There's a halo light. Yeah. Some red lipstick. <laughs> And, and leggings, leggings, uh, <laughs> you know, to so go you're, with you're, the top. You're fancy from the top part. Yeah, that's I love right. That. It's just, it's it's just this. It's our mullet outfit. You Part right. of yeah. at the top. Part of <laughs> That's right. I'm Business in the time of Rona. Who's to the word? I'm going to let myself go. Go. <laughs> Renita, what about you? Oh, gosh. Y'all are hilarious. Um, <laughs> good afternoon. I'm Renita. Brown. I am the chief operating officer for a women's health startup called Natalist. And um, we sell products to support women all along their reproductive health journeys. And the thing that excites me really the most about our company is that we are built and run by moms. So we just, I mean, we're putting products and information and community into the world that we all wish that we had at some point along our reproductive health journey. So like, even with me, like from the time of growing up, like my parents never even talked to me about sex. Um, and I got a real shoddy, uh, quick and dirty on it in my, you know, seventh or eighth grade <laughs> health class. Health right. Very quick, very yeah. Well, at yeah. least it was the, the, guy, the neighborhood guy across the street. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> But yeah, we're all we're all millennial women moms that have 
um, have that experience of just the, the sex ed class not being what we needed it to be. Mm -hmm. And so we're just really working to put that information and truth and science and encouragement out into the world. So that's what I get to do every day. Bernita, can I ask you a question? I, I, um, you said that the company is built by moms and, and that's special. Unpack that a little bit because I know that moms right now, especially during COVID, we're struggling to balance so much. Like there's yes. no more separation of work and home. Like everything's so mashed and blended together that as a mom myself, I find it hard to figure out where I start and stop professionally and personally. So how have you guys managed that as a mom-led company? I think better. Yeah. It has Fine. been, it has been really challenging for us. Um, we, we celebrated our one year anniversary on Thursday um, of just being in business. We did a year of research and development before that. But this, and so when I look at other startups, I'm like, man, you guys are like, y'all are doing it. Y'all, y'all work 70 hours a week. Like, mm -hmm. how do you do that? Cause we can't do that. Right. Like as moms, we have to kind of keep it in the 40 to 50 hour a week range. Cause we have so many other things that are pulling at us. But I would say, you know, with our CEO and myself, we've just tried to operate from this place of like ultimate flexibility with folks' schedule. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you guys have been on Zoom calls now where you've had babies in the lap, you know, babies in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just very understanding to that. I will say in the early days when we thought this was going to be like, just be home for a month, we did say, you know, if you have your kids with you, just, you know, try, try to just take PTO in that time. But when we realized that this was going to be much, much longer, I we know. were like, no, ultimate flexibility, like yep. have your kids with you, do what you need to do. If you need to, you know, make something up later, or if you need to get on a lot of, like one of our staff members, she hops on at like 6 a.m. and just gets rolling wow. before her kid even wakes up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we try to be understanding too and set reasonable goals for ourselves and just show each other the grace that's really necessary to make it through. Girl. This yeah. Girl. Girl. Yeah. It's funny. I think COVID has highlighted a, a few different things. For one, what we've seen on the medical end of things is that there's been less preterm deliveries now mm -hmm. that um, the world has kind of slowed down, which makes you wonder, is it because women are put in very stressful environments mm -hmm. at work? That we're on our feet too much? Are we supposed to literally put your feet up and rest as your body is, is doing this amazing thing of creating this entirely different person to bring mm -hmm. into the world? And what is this, this new age of industrialization and, and women in the workforce, what is that doing for the longevity of, of human life? Um, human race. We know that, right, and race, we know that fewer and fewer children are being born too, right? Mm -hmm. That m moms who are working say, I can't have five, six, seven kids. No. Right. Time you might like keep my grandmama. Okay. I plan on I plan on putting my best in the one. Listen. Okay. I'm gonna give my full best. Listen, every time I see people with three and four kids, I'm like, do you live on a farm? Like what are we doing? Are they is this a part of the help? Is this the personnel for the home? Because how are you maintaining a house with that many people in it and still working and looking Listen, fabulous. But get the house. How are you still breathing without them people looking at you and, 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 and expecting? <laughs> at work, you know, I oh have a pager goodness. and my pager goes off all the time. And I'm like, if I had a child, it's like, mama, 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 mama. 
No, we're going to both need Jesus because <laughs> I can't. So it is one of these things of, you know, the, the world has kind of shaped us. And what we know for sure is that there's been this kind of new push of women waiting longer and longer, example, um, to have children because we do want to have a career and to be independent and to not have to depend on if if my man or if my husband doesn't doesn't treat me well, I have to stay with him because how are we going to survive? How are we going to eat? Yeah. How are we going to have this home? Mm-hmm. And so that's pushing women to be later ages of life that they're starting these families. And what does that mean? Well, we know that infertility starts to impact as the older we get, that infertility affects at least 12% of women upwards of the age of 44. And studies show that, that black women in particular may be twice as likely to experience mm-hmm. infertility as white women. And does that there's literally studies looking at the, the impact of chronic stress and what it's like to be a minority in a majority country. What does that do to you in terms of your, your fertility? What does that even do to your developing child in terms of preterm labor? What does that do to the likelihood that your child won't reach the age of one years old preconception if you're stressed out? What we're seeing is that your child is more likely to die before their first birthday. And yet, what we know is that only 8% of Black women between the ages of 25 to 44 actually seek help in realms of of fertility and how to get pregnant, how to maintain Mm -hmm. this pregnancy in in comparison to 15% of white women, right? And and is that due to lack of access? Is that due to lack of education and, and people talking to us and the awareness of it? So from your perspective, what do you two think, um, as preventing, you know, black women from seeking this medical help in the first place um, to get pregnant? And why do you think there's not more conversations and awareness surrounding this topic of, of black women and our future generations? So that infertility conversation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah, tough yeah. one. Yeah. What are you thinking? Um, I think there's a shame, maybe a mm-hmm. stigma and shame when a woman is told that she can't have uh, she can't give birth or she can't um, have a successful pregnancy. You, you, we're designed to do that, right? We're women. And so if you tell me that I can't, I would feel a little ashamed or embarrassed or sad, just a, a long range of emotions that it's probably kind of hard to articulate if you haven't been through it. And I haven't been through it. So I try to be sensitive when I say things like, oh, I don't want more kids. I say that, but then I do have to stop and say, but you have the privilege that you can't have children. And a lot of women yeah. are fighting, you know, would die to have a baby. And so I, I mm-hmm. shouldn't be so flippant when I say things like that. Or, oh, my kids are annoying. Um, it's my reality, but I do have to recognize that it's a privilege. But Kim and Vernita, like what? And the opposite of that is true, too. Because oftentimes people are like, um, when are you going to have a kid? And it's like, yeah. well, I don't want yes. one. Um, but it, stay but out of my uterus. Stay out, that's my favorite thing to say. Stay, stay out, out of my uterus. Mm-hmm. Like, is something wrong with Nosy. you? Right, but but it really is one of those things of, of people assume that if if you don't have one, that there's either something wrong with you, or that yeah, or that something's wrong with you. Like why why is it that you don't want to take that life? It's your fault. Commitment mm-hmm. at this stage and point in your life. And so um, I remember I was like 23 years old, and it was like my little eight year old cousin cousin, um, who was like, "You don't have kids." She was like, "Why?" I was like, "You're eight. <laughs> and I am 23. Like, if you don't leave me alone, but um, but no, but honestly, what what are your guys' input on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to jump in here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I really think there's like two things that stand out for me. I think the first is cost. So yes. infertility is like, it's, it's the struggle that black women can't even afford, right. which is just like crazy to think about not being able to afford a struggle. Mm-hmm. But like the initial consults often cost anywhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars out of pocket. Wow. Um, and mm-hmm. those things aren't covered by healthcare more times than not. So mm-hmm. there's that, um, there's that aspect of it. And especially in this day and age of Corona, where we talk about how many black women are essential workers now, and we know how much those essential workers are being paid. Mm -hmm. So so there's just like that that expense that, you know, they can't even afford. And even for black women who do have means, a lot of times providers, medical providers, automatically assume that they can't afford these treatments. So they don't even tell them about it in their annual visits with their OBGYN. So there's that cost area that's an issue. And then sort of anecdotally, I have a belief that there's there's something about our culture um, where we don't talk about it. Kind of going back to what you were saying, Kim, too, like, Typically, from my experience in the Black community, when we talk about infertility, it's in the context of faith and just like, mm-hmm. you know, God will make your barren womb, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. have babies, right? Girl. And yeah. um, I made it happen for the woman that was 105 years old. Right, yeah, right. We don't, like, we don't seek these things out because it's just, there's just like this belief that like, oh, well, if God wants you to be pregnant, you will be pregnant. And and as a believer, like, yes, definitely, I think that faith is important in that whole conversation. But there's also an element of science that I think mm-hmm. as a community tend to just shy away from. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Actually, I'm not sure if you all know this, but I have a, a little infertility story to my story. So my mm-hmm. husband and I, we actually struggled to get pregnant initially. So our daughter, Lauren Kelly, that passed was the product of going through the infertility process. Mm -hmm. So it was even more severe, the loss, because I got, you know, we we went through this whole process to get pregnant. Um, And at five and a half months pregnant, I had, my life was on the line, you know, and I had this severe, you know, horrible traumatic outcome. And then she, of course, she's not here. And um, so, and I, but I remember even getting to that point, it was such a, battle not battle but it was we had a my husband and I really had to we, we had to get on the same page of are we going to go this route and he was not for it he said I believe that it's you know just that the faith side and, and I'm a woman of faith as well that I believe that it, it should just happen it should happen and it should but for so many women it does not so I mm-hmm. actually oversee our expecting miracles ministry with our church and in this ministry, these are women that have experienced uh, disappointment in the childbearing process. Um, and But what I found are two things. I agree with you. One, the cost is a barrier. Mm-hmm. But we, we've been sharing information. One thing, we've been creating a safe space to talk about for infertility and getting medical help in a church setting, mm-hmm. which is not typical, um, very not, not typical. So the ministry, since its inception, we've had 25 uh, and, and counting, because we have a few pregnant now, children added to households, whether it's through adoption, whether it was through us praying with you to get pregnant, and people just, the doctor said they couldn't get pregnant, and all of a sudden they, boom, they were pregnant 10 years later after trying for 10 or 15 years, or through helping you with 
finding the right physician and resources to pay for um, mm -hmm. going through the IVF. I didn't even go through IVF for our first experience. And when, when I tell people that, they said, well, isn't that the only option? And I said, well, no. So the big key is getting educated um, on the process. Now, we, we haven't gone through fertility treatment since. I actually tried again and it didn't work. And then um, one year to the day after, after the loss of Lauren, I realized I was pregnant with my oldest son, Tyson, and I've wow. never had an issue since. Wow. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes we have little freezes and, and I think that's what we're supposed to freeze on that. Yeah, that was a, that, 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 that was a take note. That was a take note and take pause moment. That was a take note and take pause moment for sure. For sure. What in, in, in taking this moment, what are some resources? You know, you say your company is based and rooted in this. So what are yeah. some resources that you all um, kind of talk to to educate, particularly black women? <laughs> Yeah. So there's um, there's a website, an organization called Fertility for Colored Girls dot org. Um, and that's a wonderful, wonderful resource. Um, it really sort of combines faith and science. Um, so kind of to Kim's point earlier, just like it, it's essential, right, to kind of be armed with the, the knowledge, too. Um, so Fertility for Colored Girls dot org. Um, and then also ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, I would say like that's probably your best place for just the basic terminology. So you just even know like mm. where to start the conversation with your medical provider. And then also the American Society of Reproductive Medicine for more specific questions. So like if you do get an infertility diagnosis, you can dig deeper there for just like questions on treatments and just kind of getting the ins and outs. I would say those are like the top three really that come to mind for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're good. Kim, you were telling us about your back, but it was a perfect mic drop moment. You were just saying <laughs> that, you know, through the infertility struggles, then you got pregnant with your oldest son and how that kind of changed our lives and kind of, and then it paused. So I don't oh, yes. and I'm your words. Yeah. Yes. I'm so sorry for that. No, don't apologize. So I know. But, um, but yeah, so we, but in this, in this group of women, we, we talk about those fears and, and I found two things to be true. So we talk about resources and scholarships and, and different resources available for the, for going the fertility route, because a lot of women are getting pregnant, um, later. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, the concern with faith, but I feel as though, honestly, there have been a number of women that I've kind of coached through oh, no. this wow. process that just won't go to their doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They, their doctor and, and partner with them and talk about why. And, and there have been at least two that have literally given birth in the past 12 months who, when they finally, when we finally convinced them to go back to their doctor, there is a, to understand why they were having miscarriages or what was happening it was something that was so simple to rectify but if they just were so there because because we sometimes we call it fate but really it's fear mm -hmm. and it's hard to talk about that with someone you you know unless you really can call them out and you have that relationship but sometimes it is fear we're, we're hesitant to mm -hmm. face these this data that gives us this poor outlook 
But when you partner with your, your provider and you have a good one mm-hmm. who has good bedside manner, <laughs> yes. they can help you. And I know at least two in the past 12 months who, because they worked with their provider, they got pregnant, didn't even need the fertility treatment. Wow. Um, but it was something different specific to, uh, you know, something going on in their body that they diagnosed and w- was able to address. Um, and there are no, I, have, I have many stories of women who they just never went to the doctor to find out why. Mm-hmm. They never went. And then they realized I could have had children at age wow. 60. So, so yeah, no, 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 go on. I, that That's fascinating. And it triggered my thought of back when I was like 30, I considered, I watched the show. It was a talk show and it was a black family on there talking about um, surrogacy and their struggle with um, infertility and the, the struggle of trying to find eggs from black and brown donors. So the mom couldn't even produce um, eggs. And so she needed a donor, but most of the donors were white. And so of course that not only would this baby not share your DNA, but now they may not even share your skin complexion or your ethnicity, your race. And it was mm-hmm. such, it was such a sad story, y'all. I actually started Googling, how can I donate eggs? Not only was I going to be an egg donor, uh, I actually volunteered in med school to be a surrogate for um, like. Oh Lord! <laughs> you took it all the way there. You, took it you all went next zero to one eighty. It was funny because it was a gay couple, and I and I love these this this guy, two guys, um, and I knew they would be fantastic parents. And one of the the members had a sister, so that can be you know DNA there. And I was like, well, you know, as far as carrying. I'll carry the baby. I'll do um, that. I'll do that. Come on, give it to me. Look, nothing wrong. We can do. We can. I can do it. I can turn it over. Is you guys, but um, but yeah, I think that is a, a gift that I would give to someone else. Um, I love kids. It's just the fitting them into life part. Um, That's but, the struggle. That's yeah, the- I wanted to ask Bernita. I know with Natalist, you guys talk about the reproductive journey. Mm-hmm. Do you guys talk about? Um, surrogacy or even um, harvesting eggs, donating eggs, and even encouraging young women because apparently at 30 I was too old. So that's mm-hmm. that's why I had to stop at right 30. there. At 30 mm-hmm. I was too old. And so even having conversations mm-hmm. with younger black and brown women about egg donors, about egg, what is it, egg donorship? Egg donorship or freezing your eggs. I wish we had the conversation about egg freezing with young black women. I feel like that's not even a part of our our, our consciousness, a part of the dialogue that's had. And that's something that people need to be talking about. Yeah. I actually think it is becoming more and more of a conversation because Google is literally offering that for women. Um, And there's Mm. other larger corporations that are saying, we know that we want you to be our CEOs and we want you to be in these positions a power and in order to do that we know that you oftentimes choose to delay this large portion of life and so we'll pay for you to freeze what is that in my benefits package no google it is in google's benefits package it is in google's benefits package for women to freeze their eggs but again i don't think that that's a conversation that's being had in black and brown communities and how many of them are in google like that's just not yeah it's just not part of our reality doing about that conversation over at natalist yeah, so we do have, we have hundreds of articles um, that are written by female doctors on our wow. website, um, in our learn section, and a lot of them talk about infertility and resources and options. 
our company, our CEO who's and founder, she's very open about her struggles and fertility for the last seven years. And it's really the reason why she started the company was she was having, there's, there's a lot of products that you can engage with along your journey. And one of the products that she was engaging with was a fertility friendly lubricant. Um, and if you know anything about lubricants, um, though the ones that are fertility friendly tend to have like this applicator situation that is just like very unfriendly, very unsexy. Mm -hmm. And um, this one that's a leader in the space has this woman on the front of the box with just very homely looking woman with a baby. And she had this product on her bedside table and she recalls that um, the woman and the baby kind of felt like they were taunting her. And knowing that she could not conceive or was having trouble conceiving, she just felt like this product was sort of taunting her. And so she said, I want to start a company that gives women the resources and education that they need all along their journey. So mm -hmm. a lot of our ed content is really around infertility. And we are continuing to build out into the pre-pregnancy and post-pregnancy space as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, ladies, um, and y'all know I love a data point. Um, we know that maternal mortality is often used internationally as the indicator of the health of a population writ large, yes. right? How are the babies? That speaks to the health of your nation. And what we know is that after more than a decade of uncertainty, the U.S. officially has um, infant mortality rate, maternal mortality, excuse me, rate of 17.4 per 1,000 deaths. That was as of 2018. Now, the bugged out thing is, if you compare that with other developed nations, Italy, Japan, Finland, you name it, their rate is three to five per 100,000. So in the US, we're 17.5. And in Japan, Italy, Finland, they're at three to, three to five. And what we know over here is that our maternal mortality rate is similar to Oman, Serbia, Hungary. So we're, we're talking about nations where the infrastructure, where the resources is nowhere near what we have in the United States. And so we are going to, after this question, dive into the disparities of the U.S. mortality rate. But I want y'all first to talk about just big picture. What does that data point tell you? You know, thinking about that data point and us as a nation, what do you think that has to say about us? Um, I'll kick it to you first, Vernita. Yeah, you know, this is a really hard question because um, it's it's almost like, like, you know, you look at coronavirus and how we're sort of bearing with this as a nation. And it's like, for a nation that's this rich and this advanced and this whatever, we are really struggling with this. And so like, mm -hmm. what is it about our setup? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but I, I would really hypothesize around the standard American diet um, being mm -hmm. a contributor, um, just thinking about the amount of like high fat we have and high sugar in our diets. Um, our diets are not rich in the fiber and essential nutrients that you really need to, you know, bring a baby from concept to conception into mm -hmm. a, a healthy birth outcome. Mm -hmm. So that would be a, a hypothesis for me, but I, it, it just, it is really sad when you just sort of think about 
these these major health issues that we continue to contend with as as a nation. Thank you. What about you, Kim Smith? Yeah, this is um, such a near and dear topic to me that there is a several articles that kind of build up on this conversation. One was led by ProPublica uh, with Nina Martin, actually was interviewed by Nina Martin a part of, as a part of her research for this story. And then there were additional uh, stories in USA Today that followed about these poor outcomes. And, um, you know, what, what I believe to be true is we don't take very good care of ourselves in general. I do believe with, believe you, Renita, that we, we don't take really good care of ourselves, mm -hmm. um, as Americans. I mean, I hired my own health coach yesterday <laughs> to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm focused and intentional about, you know, my own long-term outcomes, but there's so many factors involved with not just why are we struggling with, with pregnancy, but the poor outcomes and, Mm -hmm. With black women having a a likelihood of of dying, you know, they're three to four more times likely to die due to childbirth. Right. That stat links to environmental challenges from environmental injustice. Uh, uh, you know, just pre being predisposed to other poor outcomes. Um, ha maybe having um, more likely to me, pregnancy is the looking glass. So it may it may reveal the fact that you are more likely to be diagnosed with diabetes. You're more likely to deal with cardiovascular issues, and we can't say that's not true because if you look at our lineage, a lot of times that's within our family. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to digest because it's so complex. There are so many mm -hmm. layers and reasons to why um, maternal health outcomes are are poor. And people are trying to figure out how can we connect together to make some positive changes. Yeah. Because yeah. the issue, you know, you bring up lineage, and I want to highlight to Black people just a very important point in that um, we oftentimes blame Black women. And I feel like it, it's a, um, but it's an injustice for us not to highlight the fact that in looking at Africans who come here, they actually have better health outcomes than white people. Yep. Meaning that yes. it's, not in your, it's not in your DNA to have hypertension. Mm -hmm. right. It's not in your DNA to have diabetes. It's not in your DNA to have um, heart failure. It's not something genetically wrong with you. And what we have to realize is that, yes, um, there's tons and tons of studies that look, again, look at chronic stress and what it's like mm -hmm. to be a minority in a majority community and how that impacts your development of hypertension, right? That when, when you're having these images of Trayvon Martin and, and George Floyd and, and Jacob um, right. Blake now, right? And the activation of your fight or, uh, fight or flight system, this, mm -hmm. your hypothalamus, your pituitary, talks to your adrenal gland that releases this surge of catecholamines, which is your adrenaline, your cortisol, Constantly. your insulin, all these, all these hormones that are supposed to tell your body, get ready to fight. And that get ready to fight translates to high blood pressure, that get ready to fight translates to diabetes, to heart failure at younger ages, mm -hmm. to cancer development, to fibroid formation, preterm right? labor, to preterm labor, to to very low birth weight um, babies, our IUGR, you might hear them say, to literally miscarriages, to um, even to their studies, like I said, that look at chronic stress before a mother gets pregnant and the likelihood that her child will die before their first birthday after birth. So we know that there there's things that happen to us which is why if you look, listen to our birth um, podcast i say my number one recommendation for black women in particular 
is to protect your energy. Do not let someone take you and shake you at your core because mm -hmm. it has more of an impact than just how you feel that mental, day. Mental health is physical health. Yeah. And to dive more, you know, deeply into these um, statistics, like Kelly said, the United States has the worst health outcomes or maternal outcomes than any developed nation. And our country is literally the only nation in the developed countries that are having increase in our number of deaths. While everyone else is improving, we still go up, 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 right? Um, and like we said, black women are three or four times more likely to die, right? We know that our black children, two and a half times more likely to die. And this statistic, it doesn't just matter for poor black women. If you look at a study um, out of um, Duke, this was in 2015 by Dr. Keisha Edwards Bentley, she actually showed a study where based on a mother's um, race and her educational level, right? The higher that black women went up in their educational degree, the more likely their child was to die. So for instance, for me, as a double board certified anesthesiologist, my child is two and a half times more likely to die than a white woman with a fourth grade education. And looking at white women with my same number of degrees, meaning if we're the same age, we've gone through the same struggles of life, and yet my child would be five to seven times more likely to die than a white woman with my same level of degrees. So there's many things that feed into this. I have every resource at my fingertips. So why is it there's a difference? And we yeah. know that there's differences in the hospital that we have to deal with as far as implicit and explicit bias. We know that there's, there's environmental racism, as you were talking about, Kim, and the, and the lack of healthy food eateries and the influence that plays on, the, on our body systems and the weathering that means on our bodies as we're aging faster than white women due to these exposures, the chronic stress that's linked to the socioeconomic you know, disadvantages and the discrimination over a lifetime course, making our pregnancies more difficult and our ability to, to form this baby more of a challenge. So for you ladies, what specific steps do you feel like can be taken across this socioeconomic spectrum, like regardless of you in the top 1% or if you're in the bottom 1% for black and brown women to protect themselves and their loved ones as it relates to having a safe pregnancy as we bring forth this next generation? And what resources would you recommend for those women to provide like this, this healthy safety net uh, of support during their pregnancies? Mm -hmm. And maybe let's go with you, Ken. You go? Sure, now this is, yes to everything you said, <laughs> this, you know, this is so, um, so timely, the conversation. Um, I would say the most powerful thing you have, and it, it may not be popular, but hopefully it is, the most powerful thing you have as a woman and to get pregnant is your voice. You have your voice. Um, it's important that even with all the work being done with, or by organizations through policy work, uh, training providers, it's critical that you, you recognize that you are a critical part of your own care team. You have to stand up when, when things don't feel right, when you have questions. Um, oh my goodness, you, you have to ask questions. Um, even with, with, as a part of our loss, I literally left a, I was managing several clinics, several physician practices at the time. And I had an irate patient kind of charged toward me in the clinic, it actually was at an FQHC, very, very poor area. She was, she was not happy with uh, what I had to share with her, some information I had to share with her. And 
I was visibly pregnant. You know, this is another African-American woman. So it's not like it was, you know, it's not a, obviously a racial thing. But when I got to the doctor, um, it took them a while to get her, find her heartbeat. And I said, oh, I must have, it was, it was because of the McAllister's loaded potato. You know, I just kind of laughed it off. And, and then by the time I got in that office, my blood pressure was 160. Wow. And they, and I just kind of laughed it off and I said, well, it was probably higher than that because I was shaking in that moment yeah. with this, with this patient. Actually, it was a peds clinic, <laughs> a peds clinic that we can talk a whole lot about just that. Like, wow, that, that, that's a lot to unpack. And, um, and they said, no, we need to do a 24 hour urine and all this stuff. But, but here's the thing. And I don't talk about this much, but I, I feel as though it's important to, to for people to know, I was never given the word preeclampsia. Going through the, the 24 hour urine, um, you know, going through this process, uh, protein levels were fine. Two weeks later, I almost died. Mm-hmm. I was never told preeclampsia. So that was a huge miss. Now, knowing who I am in healthcare, I would have researched, but I also realized I should have asked, well, what is this test for? What, you know, this was, my, this was my first pregnancy. So I did have a lot of guilt with that, that I didn't ask questions, you know, just tracing back what could have done differently. And even when I called, when I um, had this episode, it was a severe pain in the upper right side of my belly, a, a sure direct sign of help syndrome. Um, I called and, and I'll, I, don't, I don't, again, say this often, but the physician kind of laughed it off when I called in. She said, well, that could be anything. I just kept saying my stomach hurts. I can't even move. And then eventually I was vomiting. I mean, I was literally in my, the pain was my, my um, liver like pulsate, it could have burst inside of my body. That's how, yeah, I didn't know what was happening. And it was just in a moment. And then we decided, okay, we will get to the hospital. I may not make it through the night. My blood pressure was over 200 over 100. I could have had a stroke and died if I did not get to the hospital that night. That was my liver that could have burst in my body. My placenta was abrupting. I, my body, I was literally in a state of help. You know, and this, we call it help syndrome. That's how severe this is. So me, so this is like really important that even in, even though I talk a lot about all the things they did well, and they did incredible things well, they knew what to do with me. They properly diagnosed me. So many women don't have that story. I love my providers, but there were big misses here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important that we recognize that no matter how much we train and, and do all these things, you still have to know um, how to utilize your voice, um, and, and, and share, and it's not comfortable to talk about these things. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm called the grief lady. I'm called the preeclampsia lady. People, you know, people call me for these things, but I'm glad they do because I get calls from moms in the hospital whose physician, who has a history of help, whose physician refuses to admit them to the hospital and, and they're battling with the provider and they go anyway so that their life is safe. I mean, I had a husband, just infuriated with this, with the physician that was on call who refused to admit his wife. She had just delivered. She had help syndrome with the first pregnancy. And he says, how dare you? He was, he said, how dare you? When I know that black women, he shared the stat with the physician are three to four more times likely to die. And you won't admit my wife. And she, her blood pressure now is 175. Rat, no. It's, I mean, so, so you have to use your voice. We can't wait for the right policy, you know, the right implicit bias training, you know, and, you know, all these things are great and necessary, 
but you have to use your voice and you have to use it now because that can be a life and death situation. For me, it was. If I waited, oh my goodness, I would not be here today. Well, to talk that's, about that's, why, that's why when you say they did a good job, they did not. They, did not. they failed you. Because quite, I mean, to be quite honest, if you didn't get up and go to the hospital, that, that was the step number, that was the most important and the only important step of all yeah. was the difference in you being there and you not. And so when they told you not to come and they laughed at all, I don't care what happened once yeah. you got there. I don't yeah. care what happened once you got there. Yeah. And, and, they, and they gave me the choice as a, as, a, as a patient. They said, well, it could be anything. You could go in or you could not. Yeah, and, we, and, we just, so, and so that was, we we're thinking, what? Okay. No. So, so that, so that part, I, and I know it's so, it's such a hard thing because even as a part of our healing process, we had to also, what we carry as black women, we have to carry, okay, how much of this pain yes. am I going to just keep yes. carrying? Because yeah. I know the stressor of the yeah. encounter that led to probably yeah. the loss, the stressor of the system. And then deciding, okay, are we going to try to ha get pregnant again? Because I'm right. more likely to die. Yeah. So what, what can I carry? And I think sometimes we say we're not carrying it, but we are because yeah. it's in the background. And I feel as though this, the stress, my goodness, it has such a, a weightiness on um, our health outcomes. So we have mm -hmm. to be even more proactive mm -hmm. and more active and active participants in our health. So they had some huge failures. Mm -hmm. um, but not even speaking to the physician, my physician was incredible. That, that, that wasn't my doctor right. that did that. But the I had a, incredible experiences with the nurses in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I talk a lot about, about those experiences and how it played a part in just my long-term relationship with that uh, hospital system. Right. Um, then those nurses on the floor you know, and I'm, I'm a family, my family has a lot of nurses. I could be biased, but I'm, I'm always pro nurse too, as well right. <laughs> as physician, right. but they made a huge difference. But the point is, I feel as though you have to use your voice. You have to have people around you that you can ask questions to when you don't have that confidence in your provider group, if that's your case. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so many women don't think about rural South Carolina. They're mm -hmm. making life and death decisions. Oh, should I travel out of the county? to the hospital or can I wait this out? That can be a life and death decision. Kim, you're talking about a good point. I'm gonna jump to Vernita because she looks yeah, visibly yeah. shaken by your story. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. We are so in tune with just what you're talking about now, this yeah. dual access for women. Um, Vernita, what are you guys doing? Or what has been your experience in connecting more disadvantaged or underserved women to just access to reproductive health care? Yeah, you know, even as Kim was just talking, I'm just like thinking about, I mean, most of our customers and most of the people who access our website on a regular basis are in large metro areas. Mm -hmm. So this isn't even something, just to be really honest, that is even on our radar because we can see who is, who's coming to us. These are people in New York, San Francisco, Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just really enlightening for me to even be thinking about resources in those more rural communities. I would also just agree with Kim about your voice. I mean, I think that part of like one of the greatest resources that you can have in this journey is a provider that you like and trust. Yes. And, you know, I feel like 
oftentimes, and, and you guys, I think, have talked about this on one of your previous episodes before, but I think a lot of times we tend to just go along with whatever doctor we have and we don't interrogate um, them in, in their background and their, you know, the other people that they, they the other patients they have. And, okay. and I, I, just, I just would echo that part about your voice because, you know, if we go to Applebee's and they give us our quesadilla wrong, we're mm-hmm. gonna ask to talk to the manager. Act crazy about it should be true for your providers, right? Like if the nurse isn't doing right, if the other provider that you had in that same practice didn't treat you the same way as your normal Mm -hmm. provider treats you, you or if you have a problem with your provider, don't be afraid to fire somebody. Because people who at the end of the day, they work for you, Mm -hmm. you know, like if your yard man doesn't do it right and you fire him, like you should feel even more uh, empowered to do that for your own healthcare. so I just, I know that everybody doesn't have the privilege of choice in that way, but to the extent that you do, women just leverage that and use that and know that, know the seat that you sit in on your own care team. And, and that's yeah. the number one seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, this has been a lot. Like, I feel like I've had conversations with you guys today that I have never had, even with my sisters or with my friend girls or with my mom even. Um, And she had two miscarriages. And that's something that we never really talk about. So I'm hoping that this podcast um, episode sparks more conversations for women of color because Mm -hmm. from all of the infertility issues that we have and struggles that we have and co and chronic other chronic diseases that they're paired with it's about time that we start having conversations and bernita you're right if they get my bowl wrong at chipotle i'm at crazy so if i can be that passionate about chipotle i should be that passionate about my uterus and about my healthcare. absolutely yeah speaking up for myself so i just want to thank you guys so much for joining us and Uh, Kim, for sharing such deep and personal stories. I mean, I know that this episode is going to bless somebody in a special Mm -hmm. way and change a life. So the wealth of information shared is invaluable. And I honestly do thank you guys for trusting us with those stories. Uh, Tell the people, well, we'll do that at the end. You guys are going to tell people how they can connect with you, I'm sure. But let's let's get bothered. Let's tell the people why they should be bothered, Kelly. Hashtag be bothered. All right. So uh, to our listeners and uh, folks out there who've been kind of following along with Good Stock, you know that when we created the podcast, it was really because we wanted it to be both educational and entertaining or edutaining, as Kim loves to say. And so there is no doubt, there's no doubt that we have dropped a lot of knowledge on our listeners today. And so I thought we could close out with... um, someone a little lighter side. And so we know that there have been countless movies with babies at the center. We got baby mama, boss baby, baby daddy, three men and a baby, you name it. And so my question, I'm curious, if a movie were made about you as a baby, what would the title have been? And Kim, um, I'm gonna start with you. I'm gonna start with you. What would your title have been of that movie? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Forever Baby. 
I'm the baby <laughs> of the family. And y'all, I still act like the baby. Like, I still whine. I still cuddle in the bed with my parents. I still insist that my sisters, like, help me. Like, I act so feeble. But when they don't do what I ask, I act like the brat baby. And then I get real crazy about it. And I want to boss them around. So I am probably, my movie will probably be Forever Baby because right. I'm a wow. baby. Right. What about you, Ab? Never baby. I, 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 <laughs> never baby. Like my, the back of my head is flat, like right here. Like it, it literally is a, it's straight flat. And I was like, Mama, you never held me. Like I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you put me in one of those little rockers and I was like this. And that was it. Um, you know, I have my little sister who's what, two years roughly younger than me. She took over everything. I never had my spot. I'm the middle child. How, can I go on? I mean, middle child. It's going like going in. Online therapist. She's going in. She's going in. Um. Yeah. So it'll be long, that very long title. Everything I just said, and then add baby at the end of it. Girl, girl. So. First of all, Kim and Bernita get ready. We usually don't do this in the Be Bothered section, but I'm really curious what your baby movie title would be. So I'm going to go next and you prep your brain as I'm going. But my title would be um, something to the effect of ABC, because we know every you know baby got some kind of ABC, but then OCD. My family <laughs> loves to talk about the fact that as a baby, as a toddler, I used to organize bookshelves. So I think mine would be like ABC OCD. They stay talking about, remember how you used to organize the bookshelves when you was like two and a half? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Was that not, does that not mean I was gifted? Right. Girl, I don't know. I, <laughs> ABC OCD would probably be my baby title. Love it. Um, I love it. What about you, Vernita? I would say Grits Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I loved Grits. There are many pictures of me with grits in my hands, grits in my hair, eating grits. And to this day, I am a Grits Bowl girl. Grits Baby. <laughs> Grits, salty grits, cheesy grits. What? How do you make them? Well, opportunity for the grits. I love it. I what love about it. you, Kim? You know, I, I hate to admit this, but this is a safe place. Right. So, there you <laughs> go. I would probably say a mix between queen queen sugar baby or boss baby or or diva baby i was right. always trying to be in charge of everything you know even as a young child i gave my cousins homework you know i had a, i had my own little therapy bag then they realized yep. they didn't have to do it so they just left me it was you know i was yep. always trying to just run stuff uh you know sell stuff i mean with the dress and and, and i'm looking representing today for those who can't see us kim s came with the business so she right. is queen right. boss baby she yes. came with it y'all she came yes. with it i'm gonna set my game up it's for this so thing. right we're gonna have to set it up the next time so kim and Bernita, tell the people tell the people where they could i just want to say in honor of lauren kelly um as you all know, I went into medicine because my mom lost my brother, her, their first child, and um, we had three sisters following him. And the similarities with Kim S's um, family story, 
of Lauren Kelly and then having three brothers to follow her. And I just want to say that Lauren Kelly lives in your in your words and encouragement. Wow. Millions of women. It's going to be crying. Um, but yeah, but that her, her life meant something. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Awesome. That feels good. Kim, where can the people find you online? Do you have so social you, media? Yes, you can connect with me actually on my, on my website, kimasmith.com. Keep it simple. Yeah. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at Kim Smith CEO. So I'd love to um, build up the network and connect with, with those that have a like-minded interest to make an impact on this world. Awesome. Thank you for that, Kim. What about you, Vernita? Where can the people find you and your work? Yeah, so you can um, check us out at www.natalist.com. And on pretty much any social media, you can find us at Natalist Co. And you can find me on Instagram at Hey Mrs. Brown. Hey Mrs. Brown. Vernita, spell, um, spell Natalist for the listeners. Yeah, it's N A T A L I S T. So, like the word natal and prenatal, natalist. Okay. Natalist. Got you. Got you. Well, to our listeners, um, thanks for tuning in as always. To our guests, before I wrap us up, thank you, thank you, thank you again. You really brought a lot of information today that, as Kim said, really we believe is going to be a blessing on people. Uh, be sure to follow us on our social media YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And, um, Tell us what you think in the comment section below. Let us know what you thought about today's episode and if there's another B word that you would like for us to unpack in the future. And so, uh, all right, B-Pack, until the next time, stay encouraged, stay safe. Please practice self-care, especially during the season in which we find ourselves. And to everybody, let's keep unpacking. Thank you for unpacking another B word with Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Follow the B word on Instagram at the B word unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.